10-minute speakers followed by our information break and then our main speaker who will speak for 30 minutes. Our first 10-minute speaker is Sally C. But in college, I found 
everyone under the table. And I did not know I was searching for a solution. I did not know that. But I really got professional at drinking people under the table. And I loved it. As we all did, there were some good times. I was functioning, I was walking around drinking, I was conveniently ignoring the consequences of bruises, of not knowing where I was gonna wake up, of blackouts, of things that I did not know were alcoholism. I did not know this incredible hole inside me that needed to be filled with comfort, with love, with excuses, so I didn't have to be responsible. Um, it was quite a journey, and in my 30s I got married, I had two children. I loved my husband very much. I still love him, 42 years in. I love him very much. I love my children very much, but I could not stop drinking for them. I could not stop drinking when a child would look up in my eyes and go, please, mommy, don't, don't drink. It's my birthday, please don't drink. I have a child who said to me, and I've shared this before, <coughs> I locked myself in my room and pretended I didn't have a mother. Along the way, by the time I was in my 30s, I was already, the brain was saying, that drink will make you feel better. Maybe it'll be different this time. Maybe it'll be different this time. It's the mantra, right, for all of us. I just did not see what was happening to myself. I was like, I had an octopus inside me that was taking over everything about me that was good or trying to love. Um, I had this incredible ability to forget. And I would wake up one more time and no one would speak to me. I know some of you guys relate to this. I'd wake up in my own home and it was cold and it was dark and no one would speak to me. No one would tell me I could not remember what we had done. I have a mind that says, you need this. My body says more, 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 and my soul would want to be filled by that feeling over and over again. It is astounding to me. The incomprehensible demoralization that the big book talks about, we all have our stories with that. And I have mine, and some of them I can share here. If you want to hear more, if you're young, and you think, oh boy, she got to drink till 54. I can, uh, I can fill you in on some pretty gory details. It's not a pretty story. And, um, uh, it's a lonely road. The world of an alcoholic is very, very dark. The privilege of carrying some light in my life, the purpose that I have now, is incredible. I mean, I was the, I was the girl in my 40s that would go to parties and, and still walk in looking pretty done. Pretty done, I looked okay. And I would walk out, dead on my feet. Dead on my feet, I was dying of alcoholism. And now I see those women and now they're attracted to a light that I can carry into their life. It's <coughs> the most phenomenal thing. It is truly a role that, that I am grateful for. I never take it for granted. Um, and I'm not amazed at my recovery and I come in here kind of grumpy. I'm amazed at your recovery. And that's what keeps me coming. Um, I've learned to listen here. I've really learned to listen. By the time I was in my 50s, I was thrown into rehab. I was coffee drinking a bottle like this. One more time, I was slugging down a bottle with all tiny children around me. And no regard for, for anyone. But I needed that liquor. I needed four drinks to get out the door to anything. Um, alcohol had just taken over my life. And it is astounding to me. I'm not proud of that. I'm not proud.
proud that I was an alcoholic mom. Did you give me five already? I'm sorry, I wasn't. Um, so, yeah, I got thrown into rehab, and that's where AA found me. You guys found me. I don't know if I would have heard the message any other way but through you all, because I actually heard my story. Now, you won't always, if you're new, hear the facts of your story, but you'll hear the feelings. You'll hear the desperation. You'll hear the bewilderment. The, oh, my God. How can I do this to my life one more time? And I heard that. And I listened, and they said, go home to New York after 33 days, drop your suitcase, say hi to your family, and go to a meeting. And oh my goodness, I am so grateful, forever grateful that there were women there who held out their hands to me. Um, people come up to me this day and go, they're afraid to talk to you. You look like you were in shock. And I said, I was in shock. I was in shock. And I think that what has happened in my life is something that is a mystery to me still. Uh, the spiritual actions, this is a spiritual program, guys. It is a spiritual program. What happens now between the impulse that I might have and the action is, is a spiritual something. When I came in here, for me, God was, God was a group of drunks. And, and in rehab, I got this little card I always talk about, which said fear is, is courage that has said its prayers. And I thought, well, I'm not only fearful, I'm drunk and terrified. I can't live without alcohol, and I don't know how I'm going to have a life without it. I've been drinking for over 35 years. And lo and behold, there was a life there. You know, there was a life there. And today I can say that, you know, my, my marriage, I work on all the time. We're still together. I'm building, uh, rebuilding relations with my, with my daughters. Um, I'm free. That's the thing. You don't really know what it's like to be free until you try this and go through the work and trust it. I was told to leave my intellect and my opinions outside the door. <laughs> well, that's kind of sometimes hard to do. I recommend that. I'm getting the goodbye sign, and I want to thank you all for my sobriety. <laughs> Absolutely 
loved it. I can remember Bob was speaking. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was great. So I guess I need to start where with what was it like? It or not what was it like? What was I like? I was a mess. Just crippled in every area of my life by a thousand forms of fear. And that's really that's really where alcohol came in for me. It just it took away the sin. Just that constant anxiety, that constant fear. What did you think about me? What was I doing wrong? Just all of it. For every ten things I did right, there was, you know, in my mind, about a thousand more things I was doing wrong. And just as soon as I started drinking, it just, it took it. I don't know what it was, but it just took it. I didn't really start drinking very heavily until I was about 18 years old and I went, out, I went away to college. It was drinking my household when I was younger, but it was never alcoholic. It was just a glass of wine or beer with dinner or, you know, a glass, like whatever, a drink of whiskey, that sort of thing. But it was never my type of drinking. <laughs> my type of drinking, which I discovered once I was away from all the people who could hold me accountable was I started drinking with one drink and then my next goal was to black out. Because if I was not blacking out at night, that meant I was not drinking nearly as much as I wanted to. I did not want to feel. I wanted to be away from it all. Whatever it was at the time, which at that point I told myself a million different things, it was just getting away from it. And not so slowly over time, consequences started coming in pretty heavily. I can't say that I was really ever a functioning alcoholic. I managed to somehow pass through school. Somehow. I really have no idea how, considering how much I drank and how, how many classes I managed to conveniently forget about. And then after, after I left school, what happened was, you know, the friends of mine who I grew up with, who, you know, we would all drink out of the same way. Well, no, they drank a little differently than I did. But they started doing things with their lives. They started getting into relationships, moving to different cities, getting jobs, all of these things which on the outside is what I assume that people are supposed to do. And I just couldn't manage it. So all of a sudden, the veil that I had of being able to drink and saying, oh, well, you know, I'm in school, I can drink, sure, this is what people do. All of a sudden, it wasn't what people were doing anymore. And I still try to use every way of hiding it. Even the first amend that I made was to my grandmother, and she said to me, Wow, Max, you just hit it beautifully, which I don't know if I fully agreed with at the time, but that's what, that's what she thought. She even told me that she didn't think that Jews could be alcoholics, but that's, <laughs> that's a bit of a different story right there. 
more about more more about her than it does about me. <laughs> she thinks just however she was raised, however she thought, and just I don't know, maybe I did kind of. I don't really know. In the last five years of my drinking, I really I don't even like to tell too much. It was just kind of the same thing over and over again. Jobs I didn't like, you know, going to the job to get the money, to be able to pay for the car, to be able to get to the job, to get the money, to drink, so I could handle going to work. Just over and over. It was just that same cycle. Car accidents, arrests, friends walking away, family disappointed time and time and time again. It was just over and over. Until finally, you know, after after almost violently dying, and not just not, not once, not twice, like after a number of them, I was just I was just finally beaten down and I was just done. Something changed. I didn't know what in my life worked, because really nothing was working at that point. I didn't know how to live. The only thing I really knew was what didn't work anymore. And that's when I really, in my soul, I realized, okay, I need to get sober. I need to do something about this. I need to take some actions. So at that point, I was in terrible shape. I needed to go get a little treatment. So I did that. Got out, was living in a halfway house. That, that same friend took me to the meeting. I saw Bob speak. And, <laughs> I mean, we, we laughed, but that, that really, but he really got me to keep coming back to the group. Really did. Just showing me that there was levity and life in this. And that just because I stopped drinking didn't mean that, you know, my life was over. It was just, it was, it was the beginning. That same night, my first sponsor came up to me and said, oh, you know, I'd be willing to, you know, go through the book with you if you'd like. And my first response was, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, what does this guy want from me? <laughs> Only to find out after speaking with a couple of people, he wanted nothing from me except to be helpful and just to pass on to me what was so freely given to him. And as soon as I learned that, it just, it was a, it was a game changer. So I went through the steps. I'm a little over four years sober now. Yeah, of course there have been plenty of ups, plenty of downs. But you know, I was talking with my dad on the phone the other day about some things I was going through. And I mean, first of all, I was talking with him on the phone about things, which was like, God, we never, ever got along about anything until I got sober. And I was, you know, I was talking to some things about, talking to him about some things. And I realized that the things that I was speaking with him about are problems that regular people have. <laughs> like, things about my problems weren't, oh my god, I'm in trouble with the law again, my life's over. You know, I woke up somewhere, I don't even know where it was, I have no money left because I've just blown it all away. And I can't speak for anybody else, but for me, that's. That's a miracle. So, yeah, I'd like to thank everybody here again. I'd like to thank my 
amazing girlfriend who came out tonight. So. Hey, yo, this is a we program. We're all in it together. And yeah, thank you for letting me speak. Thank you. 
or whatever it would be, the library, I don't know. Would you like to see Bill's Bible? Mm -hmm. He said yes. And Jim, who's the tallest, I think, of the group, he went up and picked up the book, and I don't know how big it was in reality, but to my eyes it was enormous. And she opened up the, uh, the book, and on the left, inside the Bible was, it was filled up maybe three quarters of the way, and it had the same verbiage. To my darling Lois, once again, I have failed you. On this word of God, I promise that this is the year I will never drink again. And then it went on and on, and I guess it was 1934, would have been the last year. And not only was that beyond moving, but it was the words of my father, who would say to my mother constantly, not on the Bible, but just on the word of God, I will never, ever drink again. More bitch, you know always drink, he'd say, but not bitch. And, uh, um, and when I would hear him say that, it would break my heart, because I knew down deep he meant it, and I knew down deep he would never be able to do it. I knew nothing about alcoholism. And uh, so I grew up in an alcoholic home, Irish Catholic, uh, very warm, loving people, values up the wazoo. And for that, I'm grateful because I lost them all at the end of my drinking. <laughs> to hang on to that I was brought up with. And uh, I was loved beyond love, almost smothered with love. And because I think it was to just make up for this underlying sadness alcoholism in the home. And uh, so I vowed as a young person, I don't know how young, that I would never, ever, ever become an alcoholic. It never entered my mind not to drink. <laughs> my father used to say, never trust a person that doesn't drink. And my mother would say, you're right, but only one. And uh, so she always looked at me, only one, and drink like a lady. It made sense to me, and that's what I was going to do. And that's what I, my whole life of drinking was to be a very lovely drinker. I was a <laughs> conscientious drinker. That's the only word I could always say. I'm such a conscientious drinker. And uh, every decision that I made uh, was uh, around alcohol, be it where I went, who I dated, everything. Because down deep, there was an insecurity or a, a soul sickness. I didn't know that it was alcoholism, but it was, it permeated my psyche, but on the outside, you would never know it. I was a very cheerful person and had a nice personality and got along with people and was popular and had lots of dates, but down deep, it was that sadness. And um, so uh, I drank beer as a teenager. I used to go to the church all the time and get my baptismal certificates because I would have to be of age wherever I would go drinking. And uh, so I'd go to the rectory and I'd say to the priest, oh, I need my baptismal certificate uh, for some reason to lie. <laughs> I would go home and fill the uh, sink, the bathroom sink with Clorox, dip it in, and I was anonymous. I had no name, I had no age, and I could be anything that I wanted to be, be it New York or New Jersey usually. <laughs> and uh, so I finally, after I don't know how many trips, the priest said, I've noticed on the ledger here, you've gotten an awful lot of certificates. <laughs> <laughs> so I never went back again. <laughs> I became a And uh, 
Uh, I got married, met this incredible person, still is, better than ever. Thanks to Alcoholics Anonymous, because it sure was in those middle years. <laughs> Please come back. 
turned around and I decked him. <laughs> and he went to the ground. This is a true story. I'm half embarrassed to say it, but I want you to know that I am a true alcoholic. And I knocked him to the ground, and I truly thought I killed him. And because he wasn't moving. And the whole time he's down there, I have my entire outfit picked from the courthouse. <laughs> Maybe you'll remember the white glasses with the circle pins and the little And when I told, when I will tell the judge what he said to me, the judge is going to press the gavel and say, case closed. <laughs> and uh, two guys came by and said, hey, what's wrong, dude? And I said, I don't know, I hit him, he's out. <laughs> I said, this is too drastic. I heard that I ought to 
a talk show. I've seen it at rehab down in Tampa. I said, I'll fly with you. I'm a fearful flyer. I'll fly with you to Tampa, but don't go to AA. Mm. And thank God. Thank you, God. He didn't listen. Anyway, and that was the beginning of my recovery because AA came to my home and told me that I had to get rid of all the alcohol in my home. And I was really annoyed. <laughs> but I was happy, you know. I was, it's okay, poor guy. That's what they tell him, I'll go along with it. And I'd just like to give you a vignette of what it was like in my state of mind at that point. He uh, was taking a train up for Christmas. I allowed him to come to visit us and our two children. And, um, I told Rich, my daughter was too small, she was three, I said, Rich was 10. I said, Daddy has just gone to a place where all they serve is coffee. <laughs> and when he gets off the train in Rhinebeck, he's going to be shaking, he's going to be miserable, he's going to be angry, and he's going to be one mess. And I want you to be nice to him. And he got off the train, and this is the God honest too. And you, you know why, because he, it was lifted for him. His eyes were shining. His, he had like the face, I kept saying, it's the face of God on him. He's, he's, a new, he's a new man. He's so pleasant and lovely and happy. And I'm shaking and miserable. Everything I described of him, I'm like that. And that's how it went until I surrendered. I uh, was going to Alamon, suggested by some ladies from New York that called me. I didn't even know these people, how dare they call me? They say that I was sicker, sicker than my alcoholic, how dare they? And, but I thought, I'll, I'll be supportive. I went to Alamon, I complained all the time in Alamon that my life was very sad because my husband doesn't drink. <laughs> any fun anymore. And they would say, well, it's such fun in your life. You know, my, my life was miserable. They said, we go to Woodstock Golf Club every Friday night for happy hour. And then we go to sell Lucci's to the piano bar until 2 a.m. And we have such a recording evening. And now he's in AA and all he does is go to meetings. So uh, they said, well, you know, stick with us. We'll go to Howard Johnson's on Friday nights. <laughs>
was, I think, the worst time of my entire life. I went into a state of mind that was so horrendous that uh, I, I was, it says in the big book, like jumping off place. And the therapist that I was in with said, you know, what would make you happy? Why are you so depressed? When do you get depressed? Every day at five o'clock, I said. She said, well, what would bring you joy in life at five o'clock? And I said, wine. She said, well, I have it. And I said, I can't, because there's no alcohol. And my husband's an AA. And she said, well, you know what? I think what you could do is maybe start walking every day at five, go out. And I'm in Woodstock, my husband, he's in New York. I'm with these two little kids, no cable TV, I can't have my talk shows, and I am so depressed. And I took my one day at a time book, my Alamon book, and I, the house was very dark, because it was five o'clock, in the middle of winter, and I went out, and I looked up at the sky. I, 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 had, I, had, I had a white light experience, I really did. And I prayed from a place of such desperation that whatever God thought I was, should be, where I should go, what I should do, whatever he wanted me to do, I will do it. I walked in really on a huge sofa, back in the house. The house was ablaze with golden light. My rich probably turned the lights on. <laughs> it was all yellow and write, and I just read a book in Marl Lindbergh's book, Hours of Gold, Hours of Lead, when her baby was kidnapped and killed. So she had a golden life, and she had a powerful life. And all I kept thinking was, my life was lead, and now it's gold. It was, it was astounding, and I sat down, and I got a huge legal pad, and I wrote out 12 pages of qualification. It had very little to do with my husband, his drinking, and all about me, my teenage drinking. And everything was lifted. I knew where to go because I'd been skirting around beginner's meetings. I knew what to do. And from that day forward, I was, and I was reading the big book today, and Bill talks about it, displaced personality, or I was a new person. I was reborn. And I started going to meetings. I became active in my group. Tribridge Group in Kingston. I did tons of service. I was the secretary. Um, I bought excellent cakes. You don't know, get the Atlantic Group had them too. It didn't exist then, but we had excellent cakes up in, in Kingston, New York. And I would go to the bakery every month and order it. And the post office, and I just did service. I got a sponsor. It was not easy because I was alone and I had these two children. And I had to go out every night because I was told that's what I had to do to stay sober. And one night, um, my, my sponsor picked me up and um, I was going out the door to a meeting. It's dark, kind of depressing, midwinter. And I turned around and my Rich and my daughter, and Rich was probably happy I was leaving, but she was, hysterically sobbing. She was uncontrollable. Don't leave me, mommy. Please don't leave me. How can you leave me? You know, she can hardly speak. And uh, I got in the car and I said to my sponsor, Kay, there's something wrong with this picture. I'm going to all these meetings and yet I'm leaving these two children 
and I don't know if I can continue in this way of life. And she looked at me with such strength and said, yes, you can. And someday, those children will reap all the benefits of what you're doing tonight. And for some reason, I actually believed her. And she was 100% right. And I continued on the road. And then three years later, I moved back to, well, not back to New York. We never lived in Manhattan. I didn't know one person. Not one person except my husband's business colleagues. And I thought, how can I ever move back to New York? I don't know one person in Manhattan. But you know, AA is just the most miraculous social network. <laughs> Within a week, I had 100 friends. <laughs> I joined the Linus Hill group. I got another sponsor, my wonderful Muriel, who's passed away. And uh, I got involved in Lenox Hill. I did tons of service in Lenox Hill. Uh, became, took every job except, uh, what's the money for the treasurer? They didn't give that to me and they were right. It has been such an extraordinary journey for me. Um, you know, Rich uh, bottomed out, I forget the year to be honest, it was about 15 years ago, I don't know. But one thing I need to say is that, you know, as parents, you think, well, two sober parents will definitely create two sober children. <laughs> and, you know, or we would know how to do it, or how to, no. We knew nothing. I got a call, I was on jury duty, and I got a call saying my son was uh, in the psych ward at Columbia. And here I'm on starting jury duty. I went up to the clerk and I said, My son, I'm going to talk about excuses. And she believed me. She said, You go right there. And I did. And the doctors really didn't know what to do. There was no real help. But there was a woman in AA that knew what to do. And Dick and I both said, We have to call Jean C. She'll know what to do for him, and she did. And she convinced him to go to uh, rehab. And uh, that's his story. And this is how AA has saved not only my life, my husband's life, my son's life, my six grandchildren's life, my daughter's life. She's not an alcoholic, but she, she has reaped all the benefits of our being sober. And uh, uh, I joined a group in uh, Kingston early on called Project Second Chance, about six months before AA, because I needed to get a job. And uh, it, it was nice, and I learned about myself and my skills, but it wasn't doing it. And I didn't know that I was really getting Project Second Chance in AA. I really got a second chance at life. And I was always talking about if I could only get a job. And I got a job in sobriety. I was a class mother with another woman from my daughter's school. And I got the most glorious job you could ever imagine, just by being a class mother. And then she would start a new business and ask me for an hour or two a week and it turned into 24-7 for much to Rich's chagrin, uh, a very long time. And uh, 
my marriage that was just gone, people in AA up in Kingston said, no major decisions in the first year. Put that divorce on the shelf. Put this on the shelf. My shelves were filled. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> More will be revealed. And that's the truth. And I never divorced. And we celebrated, who's counting, but I think about 57, 58 years of marriage. Oh. <laughs> doesn't say that you know we're immune as alcoholics, that things don't happen, sadness, death, illness. Lots of people around me have gotten ill and died. And family members got very, very ill. And through it all, AA and the people in AA, my higher power. And I just like to put a pitch in for enlarging my spiritual life. The last few years, it takes what it takes. It's taken me a long time. But I have really gone deeper lately. And I owe that, I think, to the Atlantic group because uh, uh, I've been hanging around. My husband's been talking. My son's been talking. I, I, I have a new level, I think, of sobriety that I never had before. So I am beyond grateful uh, to be sober. Um, my whole dream in life is always to have a normal life to peace of mind, to just feel comfortable in my own skin. I never felt it. As I said, on the outside, I always looked fine. I was very integrated uh, in my life. I had friends, I had social activities, I had civic activities, I was smart. I never felt comfortable in my own skin. And I always felt there was something missing, but I was going to find it. Self-knowledge was going to find it for me. And it never did until I came into AA. And once I came into AA, the search was gone. <laughs> now the work began, the steps, and all the, the work, <laughs> the meetings, the service, the this and the that. And that goes on every day for me. A day at a time, I just decided to chair a group, three twelves group, a pitch for three twelves every Tuesday and Thursday at noon at the Church of the Heavenly Best Chapel, one of the best meetings in town, and uh, chairing that step meeting, co-chairing. And so uh, today, my life is full, fuller than full, and now I'm going to say goodbye.